Good morning. Whatever the modern understanding of yoga may be, which is very often a set of exercises to keep your body fit, to which some people include mental fitness as well, the purpose of yoga, the understanding of yoga, the practice of yoga takes us far beyond any of these conceptions. Yoga, the word means to unite. And implied within it is that we are leading half an existence. That means we are not leading a life of full potential. There are many latent possibilities hidden within us. And as you rightly and very beautifully have just now expressed that there is within us a divine nature. Yet when we look at the surface of life, we do not see an express manifestation of the divinity within us. We see some goodness time to time, lot of goodness. And we also see evil which is struggling to prevail and goodness struggling to prevail. But there are higher and deeper possibilities within man. And man's software, or let me put it this way, man is so wired that he constantly wants to exceed the limits of his present possibilities. And that is the basis of all education. It is the basis of all exploration. It is the basis of all scientific research and discoveries. And it is this truth which is the basis of yoga. So what is the difference between these different routes that mankind takes to uh, exceed his limits. One route is philosophy where his thought stretches beyond all that the mind can understand based on the sensory data. He picks up the first sensory data and it goes into higher and higher reaches of thought. This attempt of the thought to arrive at something greater than what the mental man can ordinarily conceive is what is called as philosophy. Then there is another effort of man to discover the hidden powers and um, forces and energies of you know hidden behind the creation and both science and certain kind of yogic practices lead us to that and that is what is called as occultism in Indian thought so that there are forces there are energies and it's a whole um, world of discovery then another approach is that there is something beyond man a higher being a consciousness with which we want to relate and connect and that is religion. In religion, we take it, assume, based on the experiences of some, those who have founded a religion, that there is something greater than man, a being who is beyond, who is the creator. And man tries to relate with him in his own way. But the difference is that he continues to remain human, but he seeks a benevolent power or a benevolent being who can help him in the process. So that is religion. A fourth door through which man tries to expand himself is the door called spiritual experience. So spiritual experience is not something which we normally think that, you know, I am sitting in an ashram and I had a spiritual experience. Spiritual experience literally means that when we break through the walls of the mind, normally our life is full of the impingement of the senses and the mind processes, analyzes. These are the things which are going on. We call it experience. Somebody says something and you know, an emotional response, something happens within us and these are the experiences through which we move. We call them good experiences or bad experiences. But there is something beyond the good and bad experiences which we can call as a aha phenomena. 
something which is unprecedented something which we never expected we could be sitting before a landscape we could be sitting before a sea we could be walking in a garden or we could be contemplating in our thought that is there a greater reality maybe even without that thought suddenly a door opens and we are overwhelmed with a state of either a deep peace or a deep joy or suddenly knowledge breaks into us and like an insight we get a flash which reveals to us in a few moments the meaning of our own life the meaning of this creation and then we can write theories and books over it but that flash that glimpse that intuitive glimpse that we have it's an intuitive glimpse is what is called a spiritual experience this glimpse can deepen widen in those who care for it i believe that many people by the time they are 14 15 have such glimpses but generally ignored because life doesn't allow us life wants to run on a fixed course or rather we want life to run along a fixed course uh, the young get very busy with exams with studies with performance with jobs marriage and all that and this glimpse recedes but most people especially those who are marked for something uh, uh, going beyond man do have a glimpse and in some people who care for this glimpse this widens deepens heightens and they get established in a consciousness which is not exactly human uh, by that i mean human consciousness is prone to little joy little sorrows it's tied around from pillar to post in the little narrow fulcrum of thought uh, but this consciousness begins to expand beyond the human mind bringing in possibilities which are unknown unseen for instance the thoughts can suddenly enter a domain where one gets inspired and inspired in such a way you see some of these great poets if you look at the vedas and the upanishads the gita many of these kavya shastras both both in indian and western literature but in indian literature abounds in it shubindu's own epic savitri door of inspiration opens and without calculation without analysis without reason lines after lines of something marvelous beautiful power packed knowledge packed starts entering the consciousness of the mind we can use the pen and it writes or suddenly the heart of a human being no more enamored by outer things turned towards someone whom he has never seen but regards as the master of a being and starts falling in love now these are unusual experiences which uh, uh, those who have not had it obviously cannot fully connect they have a tendency to call them mad but to those who have had it it is not madness but more real than reality itself let's take an instance of such an experience today of course she is revered as a saint mirabai what really made her love krishna if we go with the strict analytical fact we may say okay krishna was a historical figure at best some may even doubt him but here is this lady who loves krishna and her love for krishna manifests in expressions of poetry which are beyond anything we can imagine and then of course today those who mocked at her at that point of time no one knows their name but uh, you know amira bai becomes immortalized in history similarly there are those who become uh, you know heroes heroic saints there have been people like that you know what inspired a man like shivaji to move all along from maharashtra all through the northern part the entire west and take on the challenge of an empire so these uh, extraordinary feats luminous states uh, states of what we can call as an emotional genius someone like shri ramakrishna swami vivekananda who was he is if we look at it like at 39 he left his body can we imagine that 
before that he had finished so much work what was that energy that moved him such a tremendous and powerful energy that he went to a western world which always had this impression that india is a nation of slaves primitive nation and there he took the world by storm what was that power yes we appreciate him but what power moved him and when he was asked then he gave a very interesting answer when he was asked that oh you are so wonderful great and swami ji your words are so much power packed then he said you know my master shri ramakrishna he is not he is an illiterate person yet he can create thousand vivekanandas like me so it's not an exaggeration so there is a power there is a knowledge there is a wisdom there is a truth much greater than what we have we present the experience there is a bliss there is a peace which no earthly satisfaction can give us there is a love which no human love can equal and there are some people who are you know have reached through the process of evolution to a point where they seek a glimpse of that love they are driven by a sense of intuition or call it faith towards that now these people who explored the realms of the consciousness beyond the mind higher states of consciousness they eventually started documenting this all vedas and upanishads are documents of these people who went beyond the mind and when they went beyond the mind they gave us a path that well it's not only me you too can travel the road and that path through which human consciousness starts uplifting widening deepening greatening heightening itself beyond the boundaries and frameworks of the human consciousness that is called yoga so yoga is not about um, just a set of exercises yoga is about expansion of consciousness deepening of consciousness heightening of consciousness greatening of consciousness and second we must like there is we can, we can understand it this way that there is a like shadow play which we live today in life but there is a greater play a greater way to live so yoga makes us more full this idea that yoga is about withdrawal from the world is a very uh, is is based on a certain kind of conceptions and what happens is that when people start experiencing this greater consciousness uh, they find life so absurd because they have exp- they are privy to something it's like somebody who has seen the real diamond and when he comes and uh, you know people try to sell him a diamond he looks at it and knows that it's not diamond it's uh, american diamond i don't know why they call it american diamond this artificial uh, jerkins maybe there is a um, truth behind it jerkins so it's not the true diamond but he knows and when he sees the market full of such things he regards it as something so artificial that turns away from it but this is not the only path of yoga most yogis in ancient times they were all arjuna in a state of yoga fights a war shri krishna is regarded as yogi yogeshwara not just a yogi he is yogi yogeshwara he fights a war he gives the gita he plays he sports um he has normal relationships in life he is married he has children and yet he is regarded as yogi yogeshwara so yoga's original sense is that lead a better and higher life not just by mental terms in the west the concept of a better life is a moral life or a prosperous life a comfortable life at best it is moral and ethics some ideals we live by but yoga life goes beyond morality and idealism it goes to a higher consciousness meaning thereby change the human consciousness and when there is a greater consciousness our understanding of life changes our vision of life changes our knowledge about the goal changes and we experience a love a 
a, a joy, a peace, which is beyond the reckoning of our ordinary human state. So this human state in which we currently dwell is what is called as a life of ignorance from the yogic perspective. Why is it called a life of ignorance? Because we are like people who are going here and there but not knowing where exactly are we going. So, you know, we are like somebody who is standing on the sta- train uh, station and a lot of people are, a uh, lot of trains are coming and going and people are entering. Now, we don't know where to go and we suddenly, okay, let's get into this train. Why? Because most of my relatives are going there. Or let's get, get into other train because all of them who speak my languages are going into that train. Or a third train because, you know, my society is going into that train. So, this is what is called as, in, in Hindi, there is a term, bhed chal, you know, going the way everybody is going. And most of us, if we really look at ourselves, we will see that we are driven by a kind of collective suggestion through which we are moving into one train or the other. But ask people, where is this train going to take you? Most of us don't know. At most, we will be able to say, well, I want to take up this job. But job is not a goal. We get a job 25, 30, at most 35 people do get a job. Some people get much earlier. Then what happens after that? So ask most people, they will say, we earn money. And uh, well, we'll get married, we'll have children, grandchildren, etc, etc. And what, what will happen at the end of it? Well, we'll die depending upon our good or bad deeds, we'll be you know, rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. This is the average human life. But the moment we ask a simple thing like, you know, is there an existence beyond death? Some will say, yes, we believe because there is a soul. Some will say, we don't know the soul, we have never seen it. Now, this is ignorance which moves between beliefs and non-beliefs. But what is knowledge? When we know the soul, we know it just as we know a human being who is, you know, um, standing in front of us. And the processes through which this veil of ignorance is removed. And we not only know the soul, we become the soul. We realize the soul. You see this famous story about Swami Ramtirth giving a talk uh, on, you know, on different aspects of yoga. And someone asked him that, Swamiji, what do you mean? You mean that... Uh, you have a soul, we all have a soul and he says, no, I didn't say that. I am saying the soul is not within the body, the body is within the soul. It's a different experience altogether where we discover that our fundamental reality is not this ego formation. Ego formation is a limited personality. What is ego formation? A formation which has come from our birth For instance, we get a surname, we get the stamp of a particular religion, we study and our mind is conditioned right from, you know, people who speak about free mind don't even know that, well, their mind, their thought, everything is conditioned completely. By the time we are ready to think, we don't think, thoughts have already been formed and we are conditioned. Yoga frees us from all this conditioning. The first thing that yoga does is that all these mental systems and frameworks, however good they may be, it begins to free us. And why it begins to free us? Because we realize their limitations. So the moment we seek to go beyond this frame, and when I use the word frame, I am not referring only to you know, uh, our outer ways of life. Our inner frames, the mind's concepts, percepts, all that we have read from the books. We have read about the soul. We want to go beyond and seek what is, is there a reality called soul or is it just a concept that there is something formless which goes from birth to birth? The moment we start searching for it, that moment a journey of yoga begins. So journey of yoga is an inner journey. So what these people just as science explores things from outside and goes to the depths, the yogis um, took it that first let me discover if there is something greater than my mental understanding, greater than my senses and its data 
and then let me understand life. So they took the other route. Science takes the route that man is his mind, senses, his life energy. And with that it explores the world and tries to understand. Yogi says, no, man is something greater. Let me first arrive at that greatness. Then let me come back to life. So till then he holds a provisional scheme of life. But as he goes further and further, he returns upon life with a greater fullness, with a greater strength, a greater power, a greater energy, a deeper love, a truer love, a much wider scope of knowledge, much deeper intuitive knowledge. And then he begins to act upon life. So this is the principle of yoga. And the principle is that our present existence is a limited existence. And uh, it's literally the grey of ignorance. There is some light in it mixed with a lot of darkness. Yoga is a means by which we become freed from this and we start ascending to greater and greater levels of consciousness. So this process of going from the human to the supra-human states, this is what is known as in the parlance of yoga, conscious evolution. Now this is where the yogis... Uh, say that sooner or later man is destined to go beyond man. See, this is something very interesting that of all creatures upon earth, man doesn't have a very clear one single law with which to live. He is a seeker, an incorrigible seeker. All animals are satisfied with their life. The gods are content with their lives. But man is an incorrigible seeker. Whatever he may seek, find he wants to go beyond. And this insatiable thirst Within him is the sign that he is meant to go beyond man. But this process will normally take centuries, millenniums, through a lot of struggle, issues, challenges of life. In yoga, this evolution which takes place through many, many lives is concentrated into a single lifetime or maybe a few years, couple of decades, a few years, even a few months. So Swami Vivekananda said, yoga is nothing else but concentrated evolution. So this is the first aspect to understand about yoga. Yoga is not about just physical mental fitness. Yoga is not about uh, just about you know getting some occult powers. Yoga is not just about you know doing certain exercises as a course of study. Yoga is above all about facilitating our own evolution. Education is meant to do it incidentally but in a much smaller scale. Education doesn't take into account right now that man can go beyond itself. Um, now it is coming in a certain ways. For instance, the effort of um, uh, all this we are having, talks on yoga and spirituality is itself a very good sign. So this is the first aspect of yoga that our evolution is not finished. We have to go beyond human just as uh, animals evolution was not finished with the animal he became the laboratory of nature to create man out of animals so to man is not the last word of creation which is uh, logical enough to understand that if there is a creator then if creation's last word is man with his present state then we have to suspect the wisdom of the creator and if there is no creator then we have to wonder at what is that power which has let this dust climb up to man so either which way we look at it, man cannot be the last summit. The power that has uh, evolved is complex, the most complex uh, creature upon earth, the most complex structure, much more complex than any artificial intelligence, is um, just evolved by random accident, chance phenomena. Obviously, it's an absurdity. And equally, if a creator has created man, then man is still too imperfect. Because by definition, 
creator is perfect consciousness so how could he rest with this uh, imperfect human consciousness so yoga starts from this premise that man's evolution is not finished there are latent possibilities potentials within him and man is destined to explore them sooner or later and let's do it now when people take it uh, that's where yoga begins the second aspect of yoga is yoga is practical psychology so what is meant by practical psychology practical psychology this is what shirobindo says like ordinarily in science we understand the forces of material nature and we learn how to handle them so when fire was discovered first what did people know oh, this is something wonderful however whichever way they discovered it something remarkable it is the greatest discovery they didn't know that i can tend this fire understand it better and better one day i can discover the fire within the atom and create a whole nuclear powered world nobody knew that time this small little discovery has led to you know after all it is the same energy of fire which is concealed the, the form of fire is a different phenomena we can um, you know rub stone and have fire we can rub matchstick we can have gas lights we can have electrical fire which is fire by that i mean a source of light and of course a source of heat a source of power and a source of light and ultimately the power of the sun the power of you know all these are different manifestations of what is called in india as the power of agni so that time one didn't know where all it can go so the scientists learning to handle this power slowly arrived at this point where is discovered greater and greater possibilities of power so let's see what all we have in our own human psychological system we have a quantum of thought yes can our thought and our mental analysis tell us the truth no it's plain speaking um we can arrive at approximations no amount of analysis of the brain of the mind can ever tell us with certainty that this is truth this is uh, well known so it's always it plays with probability it could be could not be maybe may not be uh, chances are likely that it will be uh, there is a reasoned uh, guess or probability that's what mind can take so there is the limit of our thought then there is the limit of our feelings can we constantly love continue to love even when there is you know uh, no return sometimes the return is opposite hatred can we continue to love well ordinarily the answer is no can our will continue to labor and strive to arrive at an end even when there is a sure failure the normal answer is no are we prone to fatigue and you know there the bodily self and everything comes yes ordinarily our system can only ac- accumulate or accommodate and adapt to a limited amount of energy beyond it our system tends to fatigue so these are the limits within which the human consciousness moves now practical psychology aspect of the yoga is pick up any aspect of this uh, our complex psychological apparatus normally uh, in all psychological operations there are these three things uh, volition cognition cognition and then of course emotion so cognition is thought process emotion is the feeling and um, uh, cognition and volition relate to will and action so this is how these processes work within the human system pick up any idea let's take the power of thought so what is the last limit of thought so yogin says that if you concentrate this thought on one single idea that idea can reveal itself and take us to great heights so what could be that idea that the source is the same within all creatures or the source of creation dwells within me 
which is of course logical it's not like taking any absurd idea but yes concentration tends to take us to the truth the last limit of the idea and when we take that last limit of the idea there is a breakdown of the barriers which separates the idea from the reality so let's say we take up an idea of course one can take up it can be misused there are yogis uh, of a very dark kind not really yogis but uh, dark mystics who have used misused the power of the idea and you know people could identify even with the evil side of life simply by you know constantly thinking about it whatever we tend to think upon that we tend to become this what is well known and yogis exploit this truth to the ultimate limit this ability of the mind of the thought to concentrate and potentiate till it leads jumps from the idea to the reality that it represents is what is known as meditation meditation leaving aside the processes and all this uh, and the methods and you know the charge which is taken but essentially it's about pick up an idea this idea could be god is within me i don't know it yes we don't know it to start with but if i constantly live with this idea meditate upon this idea i mean my mind is running preoccupied with this idea whatever i may be doing when i keep on doing that a time comes when the idea breaks through its last limit and then we discover god now this god is very different from our concepts of god it's something tremendous and why this long passes so that we can be ready to bear the shock of that content contact so that is why we see in all yoga there is a period of preparation if you see patanjali's yoga sutras there are eight limbs of the yoga sutra where asana is only one of the limbs pranayam uh, you know again yam niyam so that we are ready when we are flooded with that greater consciousness we we cannot normally bear that contact even a little joy tends to you know uh, make us go dizzy so this is one aspect take up the emotions Uh, ordinarily our love moves within a small range of you know families and friends but let this love start turning towards its own source basically yoga is to turn everything which is turned outward to discover its source so that it can return upon the world in a much more powerful way so when our emotions begin to turn towards god in a state of adoration bhakti love it's not about externality it's not bhakti as little to do with you know just going to a uh, temple and doing a ritual puja it may be an expression of bhakti may not be because i may be doing puja not to really express my love to god but to bargain with him but when this power of love which is inbuilt within human being and moves within a narrow circle this power of love turns towards the source of love it doesn't matter what we call him we may call him the all beautiful we may call him swami we may call him master we may call him beloved we may call him lover any which way we may call him krishna we may call him christ we may call him buddha it doesn't matter but when this power of love starts seeking its own source what happens a point comes when love breaks from the boundaries of the limited circle of feelings in which we move and we are upward into a ocean of love ocean of delight and then when we start engaging with the world you know people who have discovered this love it is said about them in the gita what is their state they say maitri karuna evascha they don't feel hatred for any human being you don't have to tell them think positive be like this see this idea of morally telling people do this don't do this breeds hypocrisy we have to tell them how to arrive at that state to arrive at that state of utter positivity if you want to put it though it's not you know yoga goes beyond the negative and the positive but still even if we want to use the word ultimate goodness ultimate 
you know positivity it is only possible through yoga and it doesn't matter what symbol we use it's not yoga is a very secular process you you see it's inbuilt in every possible religion so when sometimes you know uh, objections are raised about yoga being either a hindu or indian it's not true only thing is in india it was nurtured kept guarded developed to any extent but anyone who has ever discovered anything of god has engaged in yoga one may not have called it yoga how does it matter this is a very beautiful book for instance in christianity the imitation of christ it's a book of yoga the gnostics they were yogis they didn't use the word yoga doesn't matter but an average person is not does not engage in yoga he is very happy with the religious aspect of it and as i said religion is still to remain human but at least it one accepts that there is something greater so when this heart turns some of these prayers i have read of the christian mystics of you know saint augustine for example even that serenity prayer they are profound documents of yoga if you read through them they are you know some of these poetries thomas aquinas william blake so yoga is everywhere it's not something confined but in india the beauty of india is it was nurtured it was valued nobody could drive it away from india everywhere else the yoga was lost and only religion remained but in india religion is like the shell within it there is yoga if you remain confined to the shell you may or may not discover the yoga within it because one is satisfied with the shell but in india the shell and the truth were simultaneously preserved everybody who uh, uh, took to a religious life knew that there are yogis who actually realize krishna and not just they go they go to a temple and wherever there were this uh, this conflict people always revered a yogi because they knew there are people who can realize krishna Uh, in their life who can realize the truth of lord rama who can realize a state of you know greater becoming saints sages rishis munis yogis they always revered because this possibility was always kept intact along with the religion which is the shell of it so this is how the heart which can turn towards god discovers a delight so what are the changes then see look at the enormous change it can bring to life why do we you know covet things why are we so unhappy frustrated in life because we are looking for happiness ask anybody i am looking for happiness sir where will you find it will you find it in the nearest store which card can buy you there was a very nice advertisement that used to come once like a tag line i think it was mastercard or you know the they would very beautiful you know some indian advertisements are fantastic i must say nowhere in the world you will find such creative uh, advertisement as in india and the tagline used to be there are few things which money can't buy for all the rest there is mastercard what money can't buy happiness so we want happiness how will you buy happiness your job won't give you happiness your marriage will not give you happiness your um, money will not give you happiness where will you find happiness so yogis say that within within means what means that the source of all happiness the bliss is concealed within us but we have to open the doors it's easy to say happiness lies within but it means what it means that when we turn all our instead of uh, letting uh, running after this happiness that happiness this chunk of little money when we turn all these energies which are directed towards outward joys outward pleasures when we turn it inward in the seeking of the divine who is the all beautiful the all blissful then again a time comes when this seeking for happiness turned inwards and upwards breaks through a veil the veil of ignorance and we discover the all beautiful and the all blissful will such a man ever do stealing will will he ever steal will he ever cheat anyone because he has found that joy inside why would he ever want anything like that 
because he has discovered the very source. He has become in the language of the Gita, Atmarati. He is happy just being himself. He has discovered that source of love. So this is the uh, aspect of the emotions. Then there is the will. Whatever does our will strive for? It has taken the form of desires. I want this, I want that, I want hundred things. Hundred things don't satisfy. So we want hundred and one things. Hundred and one things don't satisfy. So we go for thousand things. You see, the nature of... Because again, because we have come from infinite, man is born to transcend himself. No amount of things will ever satisfy Precisely because we are, we, our satisfaction, our hunger is in the infinite, is for the infinite. There's a very beautiful poem of Shirvindo, The Greater Plan, and he puts it like this. Um, there is a need within the soul of man. There is a need within the soul of man. The splendors of the surface never sate. For life and mind and their glory and debate are the slow preludes to a vaster theme. A preface to the epic supreme. So what we have written so far as human beings is only the preface of our life. This preface has wars, this preface has religion, this preface has philosophy, this preface has science as we know it today. But the greatest story is yet to be written. That's how we see Ken Upanishad starts from that point. What is that which is beyond the limits of thought? What impels thought? What is this? Is there a sense behind the sense? What makes our eyes see? Makes our ears hear? They raise this fundamental question and then they discover that there is a greater existence beyond and man can arrive at it through the self-conquest, through tapas. They use the word called tapas. Tapas is tapasya, which is a very much misunderstood word. So tapasya is understood to mean, you know, somebody goes to a forest, sits with a kamandalu, starts wearing a saffron cloth, and puts a little stick in his hand uh, and then he closes his eyes and starts doing chanting. That's not tapasya. Tapasya literally comes from the root tap. Tap is a word for heat. You generate energy. Instead of letting this will scattered all through. See, go to a market, get little happiness and after that get tiredness, free of cost. Because we are just throwing away this energy. One of the worst ways to throw away energy and the commonest one is through meaningless gossip. And people love it on phone without any reason. People can talk for half an hour. I don't know how it happens, but people can talk. Meaningless talk. So this energy of speech, this energy which we throw out in expansion of desires, if we can conserve it. So this mastery of desires is not so that I, uh, one becomes stern, one becomes you know heartless, lifeless. No, it is for a greater life. See, that's how the Isha Upanishad puts it very cryptically. Isha vasyam idam sarvam yat kincha jagatyam jagat. All this is for the joy of the Lord, for the habitation of the Lord. And then gives us a very interesting clue. Therefore, by renouncing you enjoy. So what does renunciation mean? Renunciation is not about, you know, abandoning money, abandoning wife, leaving and walking into the forest. That's escapism. Renunciation means I renounce my egoistic life and the stress of desires and which I might believe that if I have this, I'll have joy. Anybody who has gone beyond 30 and certainly those who have touched 40, what is ordinarily regarded as the middle of life, have discovered that objects do not give joy. What gives joy is the value we have placed upon the object. And that value, to bear that value, almost no object can ever fulfill it. Because objects are limited things. 
if you are expecting my wife is going to fulfill my life and she is my dream she will be dream but don't be sad when the dream breaks because you know why a husband children anybody because objects are limited containers of what we are looking into them but when we go beyond object then we discover the objectless ecstasy that energy that peace uh, that surpasses all our understanding as the bible puts it that peace shashwati netrisham as the upanishad puts it yam pashanti ritohshin dosha seeing which all our uh, doshas tend to drop away so where is that you know that energy when instead of turning this energy outward in all the desires we turn it inward in serving the divine how do we serve the divine we can if we are very fortunate and we have this uh, you know a work which is assigned to us by the divine in the work or any other place that's wonderful but if not the minimum that we can do is to serve the divine in the human garb when we live life with this idea that it's not human beings whom we are serving we are serving the divine then one may be a bank employee one may be you know um, selling a product and imagine how life begins to change when a customer comes we don't look at him as a customer with whom i have to extract money but we look at him as the divine walking into a shop and see the whole attitude will change so these are ways and processes through which we break from the magic circle and when we open to that state through nishkam karma when we turn to serve the divine in the world then we open also to an inexhaustible fount of energy and pure energy because there is no backlash of you know the problem with desire is that we struggle and then we get even what we get is very very inadequate and invariably it brings a state eventually of a disappointment at some level it's a temporary transient joy mixed with sorrow which is trailing behind you see the old um, old uh, bargain of nature is buy one pleasure get two pain free of cost whether it be samosa and uh, kachori and um, rasgulla or it is any other pleasure buy it and see you will bring two sorrows trailing behind but there is a kind of joy which we don't buy it because we don't get it in the market but which is freely available within human beings so the whole process of yoga is to turn the consciousness inward and upward through what was known as concentration not just contemplation concentration upon an idea concentration upon a representative divine figure concentration upon in just a any image which can represent in in the vedic lore we didn't have you know we don't see these um uh, you know divine beings that way but in the vedic lore we see that there are the gods who are an aspect of the divine on upon whom they meditated or in the vedic lore we have you know this concentration upon the fire in the heart doesn't matter on the inner sun with uh, yoga is a very very secular approach because it is not about religion it's not cult or sect yoga is about fullness yoga comes from the root yuj to unite half our existence is here half our existence is lost there you know in some of these movies these spies who went how did they recognize their friend in another country so they would carry old time movies a in a rupee or something was torn and if it matched with the other person's uh, rupee it would become full i don't know if you have seen some of these movies or not but uh, it used to be like that so we are leading a life where half the document is here but the other half the more important half is hidden somewhere till we find that document 
our life will remain incomplete and therefore unhappy. This unhappiness is a grace because it inspires in us seeking. How the document is? Well, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want that, I want that. And we are searching for it. But we are searching in ignorance. The result is a life of uh, transient satisfaction. Temporary pleasures, yes, there is. But followed by much that makes us unhappy. But the other document where the means are given to fulfill us, it lie elsewhere. So life yoga becomes a marvelous um, adventure, an exploration, a discovery. It requires the spirit of an adventurer. That well I want to discover where is that other half of this document. I am given seeking but where is the answer? I have the questions, where are the answers? I have all the seekings but where do I find the solution, the fulfillment, the problems, challenges? But where is the real fulfillment? And when we take understand yoga like that, then we discover yoga is something which is not just good for one or two or hundred thousand human beings. It's good for the earth. It's good for human beings. Why? Because beautifully mother once summarized, you know, we go through all these problems and uh, difficulties and we are trying to find solutions by changing governments, by changing machinery, by changing systems, by changing organizations, by changing people. What is needed is a change of consciousness. This change of consciousness is affected through yoga. Mother gave a message long back that the future of the earth depends upon a change of consciousness. And the change is bound to come. But it is left to men to decide whether they will collaborate for the change or the change is thrust upon them by the power of crashing circumstances. Meaning thereby that there is an undercurrent of yoga running in life. Shubhinda uses the word subconscious yoga. Because of this, we always feel incomplete, some way or the other. You see, very often when people get married, there is a tendency to say, my better half. It's a different matter that people hardly treat them as better half. What does it mean? There is something which is better, which I am missing. Is it to be found in a human being? No. Long back I read something very beautiful by one of the poets and it touched me. Normally we say a better half. Isn't it? Meaning thereby there are two halves and join. So I read something very beautiful uh, like a saying. It said, there is a flight of two birds flying in the sky. And the saying which was below us that when two halves meet, they have no choice but to join. But where two holes, W-H-O-L-E, complete beings, they meet. That is beauty. That is love. So when people discover their own fullness... That's what yoga teaches us. And when such yogis meet, people who are aspiring to go to the beyond, not even if they have not arrived, when they meet, then true love is born. Otherwise, there is always dependency, needs, desires. You give me bargain, calculation. That's what human life has become. The most potent medicine ever made in life is not in pharmaceutical industries, but it exists within man and that's called love. It has a tremendous healing power. Faith, tremendous healing power. Joy, it heals us. But we don't have it. So we have these huge pharmaceutical industries which make a lot of money and I have nothing, no problem with them because man is not ready for a better medicine. The elixir of youth lies within us. What is youth? Youth is the capacity to ever look forward. You know, how do you define youth in old age? Youth is when even at 80 you say, oh, there is something more I must discover. Who is old? Who at 30 says, yes, I have got a job, I am married, I have a child, now my life is settled. This idea that life is settled is so fatal. 
yoga doesn't allow that it says find the ultimate settlement and that ultimate settlement is in the one the infinite call him by any name and the path that leads us from this state to that is called yoga why it is preserved in india because in india it was believed not only believed the yogis kept on experiencing that there is fundamentally no difference between god and us sohamasmi tatvamasi the great formulas we are portions of him and we we can become one with him and it's so logical if everything has emerged from one source where can a gulf really come even the gulf would be a creation of that one source if everything is immersed if we have immersed from god if creation is immersed from god where can a real unbridgeable gulf ever exist it's illogical to imagine that there would be forever a gulf and if there is no real unbridgeable gulf then there must be ways and means by which i can join go back to the source however far i may have gone there must be a way to join the source and the way to join with the source within when we join it we discover it's the same source in everything because sources are not two the source of me and the source of you and the source of the bird the source of the beast are all one there cannot be too many sources it means to come out of the limits of the ego life which create divisions and live in that state of universality with that state that there is one reality behind all beings the problem of disunity division based on what not god knows uh, unnameable unspeakable things we create divisions is gone why because we discovered the one who is one in all and then not only we discovered the divine within and the divine in the universe as one but something still greater and that's where we'll stop uh, thought to think about is transcendent something which is beyond the cosmos which means a new possibility can be brought upon earth something which didn't exist for instance can we imagine a body which will never fall sick which will not be subject to disease death if we can imagine that means this possibility somewhere exists it lies in the transcendent it has never manifested but it has entered the thought of man that means that is calling us so i'll close with these few lines of shirbindo uh, one of my favorite lines oh force compelled fate driven earth born race is from shirbindo savitri he is referring to us context is not important here o force compelled fate driven earth born race o petty adventurers in an infinite world and prisoners of a dwarf humanity how long shall you tread the circling tracks of mind around your little self and petty things little self is ego self and petty things are what the desire can give us but not for a changeless littleness where you meant not for vain repetition where you built same sample standardized you know we want no education remember paul mccartney saying that you know we are being standardized into the same slot not for a changeless littleness where you meant not for vain repetition where you built this transient earthly being if he so wills can fill these orbs with the immortal sight he who now stares at the world with ignorant eyes can fill his eyes with immortal sight and fit his acts into a transient scheme and where how we can fit it that lives within us so he says the life you lead is a border concealed from heaven the life you lead conceals the light you are and then within our apparent body is the million bodied one to discover this million bodied one within and then live life to its real real fullness
with completeness of love completeness of delight completeness of knowledge completeness of power and by completeness i mean literally infinite that is yoga dapnon sir yes sir once again i am the one from asian christian studies happy to hear you sir beginning a talk uh, i vaguely remember we are the process of conscious evolution going from what is human to what is divine yes question yes sir please tell me is it time bound or space bound or even um, material body is bound or is it beyond that uh, or concurrently doing that yes wonderful uh, so as you rightly answered sir it's a concurrent process so if you look at the evolution of forms and i think uh, yesterday i was referring to the story of the 10 incarnations we see a, con- a a parallel evolution going on in evolution of form and the evolution of consciousness so or- ordinarily we take it that the form evolves and then you know new possibilities come up this is the science view of things but if what happens before the form evolves there is something happening within the consciousness which can be regarded as a crisis and it is that change of consciousness which builds the form so uh, we know for instance how dolphins evolved over a period of time or i take this my favorite example of a mudfish so you know mudfish is a creature which is the most uh, a miserable creature just like human beings it's neither you know it's a, it thrives in little mud cesspool uh, of water and if you look at it it's such a you know uh, it's neither a fish nor not fish and yet it is the precursor of a tadpole which will eventually become a creature both on the land and the sea so humanity going through all this crisis because within the consciousness a churning is going on the need uh, something deeper something greater something higher and so we try to turn here there everywhere and as a result of it a time comes when there is a opening of a door uh, this crisis itself becomes a precursor of evolution it's a crisis of consciousness and then when these changes multiply a time comes when the form begins to change or precipitates itself so this um, of course human form itself is undergoing different kind of changes that's a different area altogether you know um, uh, evolutionary biology would tell us you know the certain small little changes these small changes are sometimes harbingers of a big uh, uh change that is going to come uh, to give you one example just out of uh, many uh, for instance when first human beings came one of the first things that happened was that the thumb shifted so this was a small little change the pelvis uh, you know size uh, increased in women uh, because of because you know human babies are the only babies which are born who who are not completely developed you know over the next two years development will take place so this was fantastic now with human beings we see certain changes which are coming up one is the dissatisfaction with all the system so they are looking for um, you know alternate ways of life alternate things they are searching for something like that uh, another thing which uh, has happened with regard to the sexual impulse it's very interesting that world over um this impulse you know there is impotence which is taking over and as a result we see in the market flooded with all kinds of medicines and pornography i mean horrible stuff just to you know somehow make it up but this is nature's 
plan its ways that that all this energy has to eventually turn inward and upward that's the entire process of kundalini awakening you know this energy so nature is working out various combinations in various ways i am just giving two very clear observable example the height of girls has changed you know because of which in air force the cockpit sizes became a problem so it's all indicative that there is a pressure on the form to change and therefore as we evolve in consciousness the evolution will come first according to uh, all the spiritual understanding of life and then this evolution will lead to a point what is meant is like when human beings uh, instead of being prisoners of you know like yes what can we do life is like that it'll always remain like that uh, wish feel hope aspire otherwise so as a result of that the consciousness expands this is a kind of subconscious yoga which goes on uh people do yoga without knowing they are doing yoga so it's not like one has to say that he is a yogi there are people i know who are doing yoga in this sense that they are seeking for something greater and higher then as a result of all these pressures the forms will begin to change and the human body will discover ways and means to be free of disease from within this one example i'm giving so always there will be consciousness which will change and then the form will change forms are meant to remain within the frame of time and space but consciousness is not that's what the yoga says that forms but for the form to adapt to a consciousness which goes beyond space and time is not a easy thing because when yogis enter into those states it's very difficult for the form to sustain that energy that rush of that tremendous love that rush of that ananda peace it's not easy so forms have to evolve to a point where they can adapt to uh this expansion of consciousness to that extent forms will be in space and time of course in the yogic vision subtle forms can go beyond even space and time cosmic consciousness but that's about the subtle form physical forms uh, tend to remain within that space what that will be we don't know but uh, i mean shobhinder and the mother have spoken so much about it but still outwardly we don't know but consciousness change is the first priority thank you sir thank you Good evening, sir. My name is Anjali. I'm a PhD student under uh, Shantakumari, ma'am. Good evening. You said, sir, uh, during thirties, uh, settlement of uh, mind comes. Like, uh, I now I have a job, I have uh, uh, material achievements, and now it is time to settle. But then you also said we have to achieve. Yes. We have to go beyond this material settlement and go. for a uh, yes. more spiritual one how how can we go what are the more uh, more phenomenal ways so uh, good question anjali so the thing is that uh, you know material settlement is about the framework of our outer life and uh, well the framework of outer life to an extent more or less comes we we have at least enough to you know most of us there is an unfortunate group of humanity which we should help but i am just saying that many of us at least have a reasonably okay job which can you know provide for our material comfort now the question that we have to ask at this point is this what i want and for any intelligent human being one is able to see through the entire facade and spectrum of human life we have our parents you know very often parents for example insist children <laughs> i am going to say something more radical that you know you should get married get married so um they have hardly been happy if you look at now i'm you know saying something more universal and yet they insist why because out of habit we uh, keep on 
perpetuating the same old ways of humanity. But a child may say that, no, I want to discover true love. Now, what I mean is this doesn't come by one particular method that, okay, from today I'll take a spiritual life. It may be that I want to discover true love in a relationship, not just that, you know, I want to just get married and get settled. So this idea that there should be true love brings unhappiness on one side because one is expecting. On the other side, it opens the door to a new possibility. And then when we take that trail, then we discover that true love is always within us because that's the source. So there are various ways one can enter into it. But the most important thing is not to be oversatisfied with this little framework in which the ego is comfortable. So this idea of being very comfortable in a comfort zone, in a secure environment is very counterproductive to evolution. Evolution means to take the challenges of life and go through it. So it can come in various ways. It can come by reading a book's tools, as you said. It can come by, let's say, reading a book like Swami Vivekananda or, you know, um, um, any anything which one naturally feels inclined towards. Uh, I have read almost every possible literature on these diverse subjects. So it can come by reading a book. It can come by uh, knowing somebody and, you know, following his trail who has gone ahead in the, on, on a particular path. And one feels that, how did he go? There must be some way or the other. So one begins to walk in his trail, meaning thereby whatever guidance one has received from such a person, one starts following that. So then one can, you know, uh, be occupied with an idea because one has seen life as, you know, like Buddhism, how did it start? Not Buddhism, but Buddha's quest. He realized that life is about suffering. Now this is a plain speak at the end of the day, Dukkham. Then he realized that, you know, uh, what what does this suffering come from? It comes from desire. Um, again, very simple to understand it. Desire comes from ignorance. What is that ignorance? If I have this, I'll be happy. And therefore, he gave a path to be freed from it. So, if we look at life with open eyes, with intelligence, with, uh, you know, not with preconceived notions about uh, what we have heard from uh, the various sections of people, then we will ourselves discover that this life is very inadequate. Now, if we may be happy to live an inadequate life, that's okay. The bud may remain a bud forever. It's perfectly fine to, you know, as Madam rightly said, uh, depending upon the stage of evolution. But in some people... They want to blossom fully and I suppose then they have to start exploring. So the first tool is explore. Explore through books, explore through people, go to places, see, visit, make a visit, try to understand what these people are about who have taken to a spiritual life. And then one day a door will open and you will be on the journey. Or possibly already when somebody raises this question means already in some way or the other one has... uh, you know, entered through some door already on a tremendous journey. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Can you please repeat it? Okay, God's grace for liberation. See, if we see, grace is a truth of existence, but um, it's a different story. If I go into its deliberation, grace is a truth of existence for a simple logical thing. If we look at creation, the way it has gone through from uh, dust to man with million challenges. Even a baby who is born has goes through million challenges. You know, it's I mean, it's not easy, just the human birth. So one will be bound to conclude purely logically that there is an incalculable X which uh, moves life. We call that incalculable factor grace. Now, this grace may or may not be recognized. So when it is said that it uh, God's grace is needed for liberation, somebody may say, no, 
and yet the grace acts so grace doesn't care about you know our beliefs but if you ask me personally without grace not a single movement takes place that's my uh, experience that it's not only liberation but everyday life when i lead if i move through life there are countless countless things happening all the time and any of them was enough even a virus is enough to fall fell a human being so there is the action of grace constantly in creation which is constantly leading it upward higher and deeper to recognize it to be grateful to it is one of the greatest uh, uh, truths that man can discover that basically grace means what my own efforts have a limit but there is the limitless beyond which can supplement it not just complement it and really add to it and by adding it to it make 1 plus 1 not 2 but infinite so that recognition of the grace in whatever way god's grace uh, is something very wonderful always it is there but it may be recognized and atheist may not recognize it when he is he is helped suddenly things happen he calls it coincidence so grace doesn't bother about it it continues to act because it's unconditional love Yes, God's grace is must for liberation. Uh, Upanishad puts it very powerfully: Na yamatma na medha na bahu na shute na yamaveshe vranute te na labhyastasye se atma bhi vranute thano swam. It's only when the grace decides. So all life is seen from one one angle, a constant unfolding of the grace, including the challenges, the struggles, the falls, and the rise. Thank you, man.